So on my flight here, I read your book. Okay, probably took 10 minutes. It did not take, no, it took about an hour. I'm okay. a slow reader. That's good. And also, I was determined, I left my Kindle at home, so I read it on my iPhone on the mm. Kindle app. So that was real dedication. And po point being, I mean, um, it was a great read. Point being that you sort of tell the story of, of your career. And you've been CEO, what, what is the number? I've got. I, oh, one, two, three, I don't know, at least five times. At least five. You, you've run company, companies across different industries, right. online media, commerce. Right, um, productivity software. Productivity software, right. gaming. Right. Was gaming, there gaming, too, gaming. Gaming in there. You've seen a lot in this industry. And so um, we're living through a time right now in the VC world and the startup funding world where people, there's some comparisons back to, is this when Web 1.0 bubble? What is, what is this funding oh, environment God. telling us? You, you were CEO of Pets.com during that, that, during that time. And so I'm wondering what, what you've learned. Well, first question is, does anything now remind you of that time? Yes. And w what is it? Oh, you specifically? Yeah. Oh. Um, well, there's a lot of innovation. So on the positive side back then, there was a lot of innovation. There's a lot of innovation now. Um, there was a lot of money then. There's a lot of money now. You want more? I want more. <laughs> um, there are people getting funded that have never run a business before, never driven any business to profitability. Um, there, back then, because the industry was so new, people were throwing money at concepts. So that's changed a little, but, but it really is, I think, the way great things happen. A lot of money, maybe not fully formed ideas, some things stick, some things don't, and then investors get tired and they're like, we're over it, we want to see real revenue, we want to see um, someone having the ability to make profit. So I think it's a normal cycle. The difference then is there were, so, there were like 200 million people in the world on the internet back in 2000 and 1999. So, I mean, you know, I don't, this time isn't as scary. The window is shut a little for financing, but it didn't close. However, until there's a tech IPO, I think there's gonna be a lot of nervousness in the market. So how's that, so you just raised, so you've now raised for the real, real, over $100 million. $123 million. $123 million. And, and for some people Thank in the audience who, who may not Thank know, you. The real, real. Why don't you tell us real quickly? Uh, so what the, the real, model. real. We're um, almost five years old, and we are authenticated luxury consignment. So we have luxury. I think we have two hundred coupons. Who did you pay? Who did you pay? I don't know, but I'm happy. I do. We do have coupons in bags somewhere. Anyway, um, so for women, it's all designer brands, but we also have fine jewelry. We have watches. We have men's. We have home. We have art. And everything we take possession, we authenticate it. We have gemologists on staff, brand authenticators, watch experts. That sounds we, expensive. Well, you know, it is. And here's the trick. When you sell at a high price point, you can do other things. So, <laughs> so, so, so you recently raised an, another big round of $40 million. You talked about the window not being shut completely as I guess you proved. What, what did you learn? I'm curious if there were any learnings from 
all your other fundraising experiences that came came in a lot of handy well, now. Well, this one was a little weirder because it was easier. How and so? I, and, meaning, I, you know. You it walk in, give me your money. Pretty, I mean, it was easier. And I think what's, what, and what I took that as a sign is that sort of the wheat and the chaff are separating, meaning that some companies are getting funding still easier and other companies can't get past the barrier. So I think if you started a company now, I think seed funding still pretty easy. Series A, not so much. But we're, we're proven, we have real revenue, we have a path toward profitability. So all of Which those Which is the things, sexiest term to say in, in, the second, in, in, in 2016. Path to profitability, definition of profitability from startup to startup is No, a for us different. it's really making money. I mean, we've been, <laughs> I hear some, Is that what the definition is? Well, no, because it's all over the board. I mean, honestly, I don't know if you saw that Amazon's finally accounting for stock options as on, and it's like, oh, okay, that only took 20 years as an expense line. So, but on, um, we've been contribution margin positive for a long time, almost two years, meaning we're covering everything except our buildings and GNA. And so that's it. So we don't need, you know, we're almost there, so we're in good shape. So fascinating thing to me about um, the space you're playing in right now is you, you have, there still are a few privately held uh, competitors in the space, some doing luxury like you are, some doing mass, sort of mass brands. Then there's a whole slew of companies pushing the idea that more and more women, besides buying and selling used clothing, are going to do things like rent clothing and not just rent dresses for special occasions, but rent everyday wear, um, workwear, I should say. Is that, I know those are two different things, but it's kind of the same idea about Purchasing new may become less common in, in apparel, and I'm just I'm I'm still very skeptical. Um, so. I know you are. I don't know if it's about purchasing new. So let me let me just clarify. You said I have a lot of competitors. Some doing luxury, not really. I mean, not really, because we do fine jewelry, we do watches, we have gemologists on staff. All of our clothes are authenticated and inspected. We take return. So we do art, we do homes. So we have people that did a eBay that did like eBay verticals, that's not us. So those people exist, but eBay has luxury product, but we're not like them. Now, to your other point, I here's what happened, here's my theory, all right? In 2008, the world collapsed. That's not a theory, that's a fact. Financial worlds collapsed, people got scared. As the economies recovered, and I think to, you know our elections are showing people it hasn't fully recovered because you've got extremes going on now. Um, but as the economy recovered, people wanted value. And that value became the driving factor for their purchase decisions. So I don't think it's new versus um, previously owned or new versus rental. I think it's a value-driven decision. And so if you buy something on the real real, you can always reconsign it. It's up to 90% off a brand that is an amazing brand. If you rent something, it's a fraction of the cost, and yet you still have a little bit. I mean, I think they do mostly rent the runways, the number one, and they do mostly um, high-end contemp, contemporary product. But it really is a value decision, and I do think it shifted permanently. And I think the trick is for retailers to figure out what that means for their business. 
So for does us, that mean, does that mean trying to figure out a way to work directly with you? Well, we're, we've been working with retailers and we're still working with them because what we do, we also pay out a lot of money and we control the payments. So we tend to, we can send people right back into the store to buy more. But really, we are in a value buying cycle that I don't think is going to go away in the near term future. And, re and retail and e-commerce is going to be radically shifted. So what do the fashion brands think of you? They hate you? Um, I would say at least one of them hates us and wants us dead. What? But here's we're all for, we're all no, friends. No, no. So. so here's no, I'm not going to say who it is, but it starts with a C. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, so, ends with a Nell. Mm, okay. I'm not saying. Okay. So here's the deal, and this is this is a true statement and um, a major. I hope this is all true. No, no. Well, of course, no. But a, but a major luxury aggregate brand, so that has multiple brands underneath them. There's a few big groups, a group. Um, and I, we've been talking for three years. And the first year, they said, oh, we hate you, and we want you to go away. Then the second year, they said, we don't think you're going away, but we still don't like you. And then about a month ago, they said, you know what? Now we know you're not going away, and we know we have to work with you more closely than we are. We just don't know what that means yet. All right, so I think we're making progress. It may take another three to five years. But, but the truth is, Neiman Marcus and Saks did work with us last year. It was really successful. And we are friends to the brands. We keep counterfeits out of the market. We drive people back to the store. We already share data with them. We're their buddies. And they actually help us authenticate um, goods if we can't. And as soon as we get, we have a couple criminals. You know, there's always criminals. And, the, and a couple of them try, they'll send us a box of things. And so what we do is we confiscate the goods. And then every single criminal always has a relative that's a lawyer. And then you get sued because you've taken their goods. And you're like, well, they're fake. And they're like, well, no, they're not. And in fact, they are fake. And what we do is give the names of the counterfeiters to all the brands also. So we're their buddies. And we fight them in a court of law. So what would working with a brand in a real way look like? At so pretty much with what we did with Neiman. So they introduced us to their consigners. We picked up the goods. We sold the goods. And then Neiman said, um, if, well, what we said is if you want to get paid in a Neiman Marcus gift cards, Neiman said they'll kick in an extra 10%. And so they had a gift card where they sold something and went right back in the store and bought it with a little uh, kicker from Neiman's. But no, long, no longer doing that. No, we're not, because one of the brands that starts with a C wasn't that happy about it and put some pressure. But that's okay. We'll come back. It's not over. It was a great relationship for all of us. So you talked about growth into different categories that you don't see a lot of direct competitors because you're doing, you're doing a lot of things, art, jewelry, clothing. Um, I saw some of those expansion and skeptical Jason Del Rey said, is the core market you were going at not big enough? And so... No, Jason, Jason, Jason. No. Okay, tell me, right, tell so me what that was so about. So here's why we're different. Many ways we're different. One of them is we will come to your home and help value your things and clean out your goods and bring them back to one of our warehouses. When we're in That people's, sounds expensive, too. Oh, man. It works. Okay. So just... Yep. It works. So, um, 
So when we're in someone's home, they'll say, well, can you sell this? And we always say, we'll try. And then when it gets big enough, then we say, ah, we can. So we have um, for almost 5 million members now, and they tend to be consumers, um, lifestyle consumers. So we have a voracious appetite for multiple types of products, but what I look at is if I'm in someone's home and they say, well, can you sell my diamond bracelet? I would rather say yes than no, because I've just leveraged my cost and my salesperson across multiple categories, and, um, and then that salesperson actually has one cost to get to that house, one relationship, and a lot of money coming in. So it makes sense. And we've been, we do sell across every category. And you also sell men's, is what I'm told, because I just listed, I didn't tell you this, but I listed my wedding shoes on the real real about a week ago. So you couldn't have listed, you could have sent them in. You can't I'm sorry, do it yourself. sorry, I sent them, I sent them in. Okay, and did they sell? They have not sold yet, oh, which made, made me feel really self-conscious. And so, um, is the men's business, is that, are, is that an experiment or? No, no, men's is about 25% of our business and um, I would say we can't get enough good products, but uh, it's a really healthy market for us. It's nice. It's good business. So what is... Uh, I didn't see them. Are they... Maybe they're ugly. Oh. <laughs> it's for you. They, um... I'm not... They're, yeah, go they're ahead. a little narrow, which is why I'm selling them. There I, you go. I have fat feet. Uh, and... Uh, I think they're really nice, though. Okay. So we'll see. I'll let they'll you know. I'll sell. let you know if and when they sell. They are not the C brand. Okay. So they everything don't make, they, sells. Okay, everything, everything sells. sells. So I'm going to hold you to that. Um, you've now so you've raised 123 million dollars. Obvious question is um, besides the profitability path to profitability yes. question, which you sort of answered. Um, what? How do you think about, when you get to a size like this, how do you think about exit opportunities? And how do you build, are, are you building relationships now, you know, toward that end? So, I mean, you always have to, you take money in, you have to get it out. And I, we really are focusing on IPOing in the next couple of years. So hopefully the market will be open. Uh, but this last round of capital uh, was not needed to get us to profitability. So it's going to be sitting there and we'll put it to good use, I'm sure. But. Do you need to do, you know, obviously as you grow, there's more pressure to grow. Do you need to consi consider things like full price at some point or would that be totally no. against? No, there are literally trillions of products in people's homes all over the world. So, I mean, when I look at it, we, we're, you know, we're still a young company in a huge category and we're only in the U.S. So we have lots of opportunity to grow before we hit the wall. And I think it'll probably happen um, if you just sort of say, okay, when do I see the growth slowing and we're like in trouble? It's like mm, 25 years and I'll probably be dead. So that's good. I'm happy with that. It's um, a long time. It's a good run. Speaking of dead, do you want to be a public company <laughs> CEO old. again? I'm pretty old. Um, well, sure. Why not? I don't know. I'm yeah, asking sure, you. Sure, sure. Sure, I can. Sure Does I that do. seem like fun? Quarterly um, pressure? No, you know what seems like fun? Having the capital to grow a long-term brand that doesn't go away, that has legs, that stands for something, that has integrity and authenticity. So that seems like fun, and it seemed like fun from day one, and it's working. And so, you know, if um, as long as I'm like crazy energy and keep going, yeah, I want to do it. I want it all. 
You want it all. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, you talked about the sort of the, you, you take product in-house, you have this operation where you're authenticating it. These are human beings, not algorithms, right? And, and yet, there are companies trying to do a different approach. Less, I know they are. And, 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 I, and that's good for them. But, I would say they're um, probably not as accurate as they think. My point was, you yeah. can go online and you can find people complaining about all, any player in this space that I bought a fake or, or I fe this doesn't look quite real. Are, how, are you, how are you confident that this is the right approach versus... Oh, because honestly, you do have to touch and you have to see. And, and we, uh, let me just tell you how good some of the fakes are. They're so good that um, we, and I'll give you an example, because we are, um, we got a box of fakes right before Christmas, which is when thieves like to operate. And they were so good, we thought it doesn't make sense. And we called, um, we called a couple of the brands in the North American office that said, you know, these are, if their fakes are so good, we need to send them back. One went to Italy, one went to France. And then they came back and said, they're, they're really, really good fakes, but they're fakes. And they're the best fakes we've ever seen. So the fakes keep raising, uh, the, the counterfeiters keep raising the bar. It gets really, really hard to, to if you don't see them and touch them and smell them. And, um, it's, it's, a, it's a hard thing. That's just with handbags. But I mean, there's fake um, Burberry polos. We get fake Chanel uh, dresses. We get um, fake, we have a couple things that like they're fake and they're a knockoff of a really low end brand. We call them Why Bothers, right? <laughs> if you're gonna be a counterfeit, why don't you a counterfeiter? You should go big or stay home. Um, but, you know, honestly. Is it difference between a felony and a misdemeanor? Um, no, I think in general these guys just do mass products. I mean, um, but yeah, so I think, you know, our, our group that authenticates the products, the, the, um, the brands are really important. The gemologists are all GIA certified. And that's also really important. We have watch experts. Um, there's a lot of fake Rolexes, no surprise. I mean, anything that can be made fake, there are just coming into the U.S. in droves. And what we do, we've actually made a commitment to, um, we also patrol other sites. So when we get a box of fakes from someone, we know who that vendor is, and we forward that vendor's uh, where, listings wherever he lists all across to the brands. Do you, your business this, on the seller side is it is it individual people or primarily you, primarily yeah about ninety five percent are individuals and then we get a little vendor but vendors quite honestly most of our vendors are eBay power sellers that okay have I was going to ask what a vendor because obviously we you look at you, them you look at the history sure. of big what are now big uh, or what started as big peer peer to peer marketplaces like an eBay mm -hmm. over time they needed growth and they ended up. Now we see brands, we see, we see retailers, we see you know the power sellers. Do you need? Is there a day when you need to go to go in that direction? I honestly, when you map it out, by you know it took them a long time to get there. So we're only four years and a bit. So I would say at some point, and I'm really serious when we map it out, it's like between year 18 to 22. We're gonna we might have to change our how, strategy. How far out is your map? 
we go, well, it's pretty easy to go through because we know where products are. That was a serious question. No, we go out five years concretely and then go out in terms of mapping out um, where we're going to be across, outside of the U.S., how long will it take to get there, what's our footprint, what the supply is. Yeah, we go out pretty far. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in the audience. Um, like I said, you've led, you've led a handful of companies across different industries. Is there, what's the number one thing you've learned about managing fast growth or key to, to keeping either yourself, yourself in a good place while managing fast growth or keeping people on board with you? Um, well, I don't want to sound trite, but it really comes down to having, uh, there's two things. You have to relinquish your own power. So you have to hire really good people that know more than you do and then give them a lot of authority and responsibility and accountability. And then you have to, um, I mean, that's really number one. That's really number one. And then you also, I think the key, and this is one of the things that I see when companies don't go well, and when you're starting a company, I mean, I've actually um, not started that many. I've usually come in, I've turned around one. Um, is but, your second company you started? Yeah, but yes. But I mean, in terms of, I turned around Berkeley Systems. Um, I, I came into real.com when it was a baby and sold that one. And then there was Pet. So I had like two big, two like nice wins and then like one big bomb. And, uh, but I've also been brought in by VCs typically. And what I see is, the hardest thing to do is focus on the most important thing and let everything else slide. And um, that's where I see when people make mistakes. And then the other thing is you really do have to let go of your own. You can't be a control freak because you'll drive yourself crazy. And, um, and then, there is, then you hear this a lot like, oh, you know, life, work, life balance. It really doesn't exist if you're starting a company. You've got your work and then your life's over here somewhere. And you hope by the time you tap back into it, everybody's still hanging out. But yeah, it's really hard. And if they're not, you're like, oh, well, there you go. So I would say you have to be very clear about what trade-offs you're making because you can't, um, be, uh, you can't be all things to all people during that time. And then there's just two little things that people said to me. Uh, when I was first starting in business, if, you know, for people that don't take VCs, some people get silent partners. Those two things are an oxymoron. There is no such thing as a silent partner. They all talk. And I would say the same thing with observers on boards. Observers don't observe. They've always got an opinion. And hopefully it's a good one because they're going to tell you. So hopefully you can enlist their support. That was a lot of great stuff. Do, we, we have a couple minutes left. Do we have any questions from the audience? We have one right up here front. Please tell us who you are and your company. Um, my name is Mark. Mark Howe. My company's irrelevant uh, at this. I'm sorry. What is my, it? My company's, my company's irrelevant at this point because it has nothing to do with what I'm asking. Oh. What okay. is your next market? Why don't you tell us where you're from? I don't want to self-promote. What okay. is your What is your next What is your no, next market? Well, actually, we're in internationally. Our, oh. We don't give that out, but we're looking at Come multiple on. ones. We're looking at multiple markets. It's pretty I exciting, say, right? I would say a market outside the U.S. is our next market. <laughs> Come on! Okay. We have one back here. 
Hey, uh, Sapna Maheshwari from BuzzFeed. Um, I know you didn't want to mention any names, but why would a luxury house hate you guys if you're creating this market that shows like a strong resale value for the good? Well, you know, luxury brands have been around for a long time, and they, they don't tend to be that forward-looking. And if you look how many luxury brands are actually selling on the internet, not a lot. So even selling on e-commerce is like, oh my god, it's such a difficult concept for them to think about. And then if you think about some brands don't believe you should ever sell, you should have their product forever. So, you know, this is pretty, they'll come around. I just think there's a old mentality that everyone's holding on to and slowly but surely they're going to change. And some are changing faster than others and the ones that change faster will benefit faster. But it really is, I mean, I mean change is hard. These people have been doing this for a very long time, and you know, they'll get there. It may take another 20, 30 years, who knows. Hi, uh, this is Hillary from Digiday. Uh, so from your standpoint, uh, you know, you're selling online for companies. Some of them are not choosing to sell online. So can you tell who is performing well, uh, you know, as the luxury industry is kind of suffering? Can you really, do you have a pulse on, you know, what's performing well with the actual consumers, which is becoming more important for these type of brands? So we do. I mean, this is the cool thing. Every single year we do um, a luxury retail report and we do an estimate because I can tell you that the resale market is pretty much a mirror of the luxury market. So um, two, two years ago, we couldn't sell Gucci hardly at all because, and the designer wasn't great. I mean, it was the really, it was on its way down. And we do have a minimum price point we sell at, and we have a velocity index for every product. So if something's not moving, we have to keep lowering the price. At some point, we may drop that brand. So Gucci was at the bottom of the barrel. Gucci now is on top. Why is that? Because they have a new designer. It's hot in the retail store. Even though we have very few of the things from this new designer, the brand's back on top. So we are a mirror for what happens with retail. And when brands get invigorated or brands are slipping, we also, our, uh, the brands that we take is a living document. So we mirror everything. And I think that's why the bigger houses, uh, the more aggregate houses want to work with us because we can be an early indicator of a brand doing well or not doing well. But we actually publish it. It's, our, it's the Real World Luxury uh, Resale Report. We do it at the end of every year. It usually comes out in January. Here's what's hot. Here's what our predictions are for this year based on trends we're seeing. Any more? I think one here in the middle. <clears throat> Third journalist in a row. <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm Spencer Soper with Bloomberg. You, you mentioned fighting counterfeits, and I wanted to know, and that most of your business comes from individuals, do you ever find yourself where someone's first customer's experience is a letdown? Maybe finding out that what they thought was authentic is, 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 a, is a fake. And how do you handle oh, that? A, how do you handle that communication you with, with your first cons customer? Consigner. Yeah, someone who wants to sell something, they think it's authentic, they send it to you, and you're like, oh yeah, sorry, we can't sell it, it's fake. Um, so our first tactic is always, we can't authenticate this. Do you have a receipt? And if they say no, what? No, I'm sorry, someone gave it to me, which is pretty much the pat answer, whether they did or not. Then we have to say, I'm sorry, we because we can't authenticate it, and you don't have a receipt. We're going to have to. Uh, send it back to you. So you get like one get out of jail free card. But if you send us a box of fakes, mm, you're over. 
So, I mean, people get, some of the most wealthiest people in the world always, they get a fake, they get gifts, and they get fakes. A lot of, we work with a lot of celebrities, they always get fakes. And, um, and it's, you know, there can be a lot of drama, but, you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> The end Maybe of the one day. or two examples you want to... No. Use I mean, honestly, I, we always... If it's an individual, we always assume that they don't know the first time. All right? And that's usually the case. If it's a, if it's, um, a vendor and we get a box of them, we know they know. So, yeah. But like I said, some fakes are really good. And uh, it does create drama, though, because some of the bags we get from celebrities are post a breakup. And then we, it's like, oh, my God, I knew that guy was a jerk. <laughs> wow. Which um, is very funny, but yeah. That, that may be a great way to end this. So, Julie, thanks so thanks. much. Thanks.